Well, good morning. All right, so yeah, so Facebook did some kind of a, <clears throat> excuse me, a fun update. And so it didn't take <laughs> the first time. All right, but we're here. We're going, uh, yeah, only two minutes. Two minutes isn't bad. So, hey, everybody. Yeah, I am in. Those of you live streaming, watching online, uh, or watching the video version later, yes, I am wearing a Jurassic Park t-shirt today. Not my normal. I'm usually a little bit more uh, presentable, I suppose. A little bit more uh, up and at em than I am today. Today is... It's an interesting day. So we're we're still in the flooring project, but we have actually hit our bedroom finally. And those of you who are wondering, why is this taking so long? Well, we're having to do it weekend warrior style. We're doing it just on the weekends when we have time. Uh, so I'm not working. Sonny's not working. Um, and every single place we do, we find issues. Our house is 42 years old. Um, a lot's changed in 40 years. And we're finding things that weren't done up to today's standards and codes. Uh, we're finding things that weren't done quite right. The house was flipped, and we are finding things that uh, were not flipped up to today's standards as well. So we get to fix a lot as we are going. So this is taking a, a little bit of time. But we are finally in our bedroom, so we are uh, have everything out of our bedroom. So we got to living room camp, and that was interesting. Uh, tested out a new air mattress. I mean, it's not terrible, but, you know, it's not your bed. <laughs> so uh, we're, it's all right. It's all right. But it's good. But today, <clears throat> we are moving on. We are doing Nehemiah. This is the eighth study into Nehemiah, which is chapter 8, verses 1 to 18. So we're going to go ahead and do the entire chapter again. I thought about breaking this one up because there's a, a few sections in it. But it's only 18 verses. So we, we can push through this. It's a, it's a good study. This is a great spot for us to be in for today and what's happening in the world. I mean, this is, it's timely. I, mean, I, I tell people this all the time and I feel like I can't emphasize this enough. When you study the word of God, you will be amazed at how practical and how timely it is for your life and your situation. God will show you things inside of wherever you're reading in the Bible, what's going on in your life and how to approach life. There's no need to try to cherry pick little pieces here and there all the time. Not saying that there's anything wrong with that every now and then. Sometimes we do just, just need a verse for this or a verse for that. That's okay. But man, I'll tell you what, if you just go through and you dig through, you're going to find it. If you just dig through and study through the word of God, you are going to find what you need there in it, where you're at. There's just something about the way it's written, the way that God put things together and the way that God leads us to this, that you're just going to find what you need. I mean, you might not always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might find. All right. Anyway, moving on. It's too early. I'm not singing that. Sorry. Not today. Nope. Oh. Helps if I move my uh, move my thing over. Oh, because I have Facebook over there because I had to fix that. Hang on, hang on. I'm working on it. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 8. Go ahead and enjoy some butchery of some good old Hebrew. It's good times. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, all the names, Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Halkai, and Messiah on his right hand. And then you have Padiah, Mishael, Alkiah, I'm not wrong, but that's okay. Musham, Hashadana, Zechariah, and Mushalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Manai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Echum, Shabethi, Shabethai, most likely. Anyway, Odiah, Messiah, Kalita, no idea. Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book of, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then they said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our God. And not and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was a great rejoicing, 
And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Okay, so this breaks down into three basic spots. Some very interesting points that we'll be looking at during this. The first section we're going to look at is uh, verses 1 to 8, which is Ezra reads the law. Now remember, <clears throat> excuse me, in the original Hebrew writing, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. This is Ezra and Nehemiah because they interlink. And we knew, if you go back to the first lesson, we knew that we were going to see Ezra coming into the story here. And this is where he does. He comes in and he's proclaiming and reading the law. Okay, so Ezra, uh, Ezra reads the law, verses 1 to 8. 9 to 12, we see sorrow turns to joy. People go from mourning and weeping to, to joy and celebration. And then 13 to 18, we see the Feast of Booths, which is uh, something that I think many of us don't know anything about. Um, it's just it's just an interesting thing that a lot of people have forgotten. But there's a lot of feasts and festivals and things, and so it's hard to keep track, but that's okay. Let's, let's go on. All right. Verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses and the, that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, all the people... Now, first of all, all the people gathered as one man. This is just an interesting side note. This just means they were packed in there. Stand, basically standing room only, even though we have reference that they were sitting before and then they got to stand. But uh, lots of people packed into this small little area. It's not too small, but it's just saying it's crowded. Remember, this is an underpopulated town because not enough people have come back, but with everyone from the foothills and everywhere coming together, that little square is now jam-packed, tight with people. Completely goes against every COVID regulation we know. So it's fine. All the people, everyone throughout all the land of Judah, right? The countryside, the cities, and so on everywhere. They all gather tightly into this square between the temple and the water gate. Okay, that's where this square was. It was between the temple and the water gate. Now we see Ezra coming back because, again, like we spoke just a minute ago, this was Ezra Nehemiah. This isn't just... A book of Nehemiah, we've actually split for our Bible one book, Ezra and Nehemiah, into two books. Okay, so we're, we're having Ezra come in here to bring, uh, to bring out and to read the law. Now, Ezra brought the law back here, back to Jerusalem, something like 13 years before this. So that law, <clears throat> the law has actually been in Jerusalem for around 13 years at this point in time. But as was the typical tradition, these things were were kept in like a study, right? They were kept into a study and only uh, priests and scribes and, and other learned people could actually go in and study this. This wasn't for common man. You know, common man didn't get to see this stuff. And so what they would usually do is they would come out and they would unroll a scroll, like a portion of it, and they would read a little bit, or if it was a book, depending on what they had there at that synagogue or wherever, uh, this being the temple. So these are probably like the actual ones. Anyway, so they, they would pull it out and open it up and go from there. And people would just get that little glimpse. And so it was that, you know, that that meerkat ooh, pop-up moment because it's a holy event, right? You didn't get to see this stuff. They didn't have a Bible or 10 in their houses. This was something that was a very special occasion. And they've been spread out and scattered for a very long time. And so they haven't seen this and many of these people likely have never seen it in their lifetime. Because remember, they came back from captivity. Even though they've been back from captivity for a very long time, many of them, this is probably the first they've ever seen of it. They've only heard stories 
of seeing this book. Printing presses weren't around. I mean, we, it's hard. We got to think historically, right? This stuff wasn't available. If it was remade and duplicated, it was duplicated by hand. So they were rare, few and far between, and a very special item. Okay. So the book of the law. Now this could, because this is, this is an interesting portion. We see parts in here to where I would lean to it being a single portion, a single book inside of it, but it could potentially be the entire Pentateuch, which is the, the first five or, the, or the, uh, the Torah, right? The first five, the books of Moses, right? Uh, which is known as the law. Yet there's portions of Deuteronomy that specifically, uh, specifically talk about Deuteronomy itself as being the law the book of the law. So this could be reading just Deuteronomy or it could actually be reading all five texts. Now we do see, I point out in Deuteronomy here too, Deuteronomy 28, 58 says, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. And then it goes on. Anyway, there's also verses 61 and then chapter 31, 9. We see other references to where that book is declared as the law, right? So they could have potentially been reading solely from Deuteronomy, but there is a potential, just the way that the text is written, there's a potential they could have actually read through the entirety of what we call the Pentateuch or really the Torah for them. Okay, now verse 2. So Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they hear, what they heard, excuse me, on the first day of the seventh month. A couple things here. Ezra had authority. If we look back in the book of Ezra, right, or earlier in the original text, um, Ezra had authority from Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes gave him authority to go back to rebuild the temple and to start teaching the, teaching the people. But he had an even greater authority given to him by God, and he needed to give this word out according through the law from which God had given through Moses. And we see this in Ezra. Uh, we'll actually see that here in a minute, but let's look at Ezra chapter 7, 25 and 26. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, because this is Artaxerxes speaking, okay, beyond the river, all such as no excuse me, all such as know the laws of your God and those who do not know them, you shall teach whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, meaning himself, Artaxerxes, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Okay, so you remember, if you go back to lesson number one, when we go through some of the history, Persians allowed the local land and the local religions to rule amongst themselves as well. They had to abide by Persian rule and by Persian law, but if it was a law against the religion, they allowed them to handle that themselves and take care of that themselves, okay? So there was, uh, you know, the religious courts and then there were the Persian courts. And Artaxerxes gave Ezra permission to have people who knew the religious laws of the Judaism and people who he could teach the laws of Persia and have them be the judges and the magistrates over there. So he had permission from Artaxerxes himself to go and do this stuff. But if we look in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 33, verse 10, we see something else. 
says, They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They should put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. He had a declaration from God to teach this, okay? To teach the, the people of Israel the rules and the law, okay? So he had permission from Artaxerxes, but he also had permission and, and really a command biblically to teach this, to go out and to teach. Now, men and women, okay, because here we see both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. Usually, you would have a reference of just the men, okay? It would just be the men showed up, and we would just conclude that that included women in it. But they made a very specific point here in bringing out, whether this was Nehemiah or this was the chronicler, regardless, doesn't matter. They made a point to point out and stressing the importance that the reading of this law on this occasion, because it had been so long, because people left from captivity, this was a very reminiscent of coming out of Egypt, right? They leaving captivity. They were no longer sojourners. They were no longer people wandering about, homeless in a different foreign land. They were finally home. And they made a very distinct and massive point in pointing out everyone who could understand what was being said and read from the law gathered together. Men, women, and children. Children who were old enough to grasp it to at least some degree came to this as well. Okay. Now, these feasts were typically reserved for men. A lot of this stuff was just for men. Women would usually be preparing food, you know, preparing the stuff for it. But the actual feasting activities, I'm not saying that women didn't have some of the feasting activities, but a lot of the regular things that we read about was the man side. And we unfortunately, we, we lost a lot of the history on the, on the female side of this. But um, there were different things that were handled, right? So a lot of the big feasting things like this was for the men. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just saying what it is, right? And this time they're saying, no, we're doing it for everyone because we all came back. This is a glorious occasion. This is a holy occasion, okay? Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 16, 16 to 17, um, which is interesting. I have it written here as 15, 16 to 17. I think it is 16 to 16, 17, but uh, if it's not six, chapter 16, it's chapter 15, sorry. Uh, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God and the place that he will choose at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks and the feast of booths. They shall, and that's booths, B-O-O-T-H-S, not booze, sorry. I'm, I'm slurring a little bit this morning on that. Booths, booths. Anyway, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is excuse me, as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Okay, so this was for, typically for men, but that's okay. Let's go on. Also, in verse two, the first day, the first day of the seventh month. So the first day of the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar uh, is, seventh month is September, October, somewhere around in there. Uh, The first day is solemn rest. Similar to a Sabbath, but it's like a day, an, an extra day of rest. And it's very interesting. If you go through Leviticus, you actually find 
several times where they're commanded to have extra rest. It's not just the Sabbath, okay? Which, uh, if you're new to uh, if you're new to faith, if you're new to Christianity, or if you're new to any of this, so we typically here in the States celebrate our Sabbath, you know, our day of worship. We call it the Lord's Day on Sunday. But traditionally, the Sabbath is the seventh day. If you look at your calendar, Sunday's the first day on the week. The seventh day is Saturday. The traditional Sabbath is Saturday. And so they would celebrate it on Saturday. But this day, regardless of when it fell, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Friday, okay? If it was on a Saturday, they were already just doing Sabbath rest anyway. So there would be another, it just increases that, right? If it was a Friday, they get two days of rest. If it was a Sunday, they get two days in a rest back and back, okay? But it was declared that they were to have this rest, okay? The solemn rest, like a Sabbath. And this whole month holds the day of atonement, for one. Again, I'm off to the side here. Day of atonement and the Feast of Booths. And you can see that. I don't have it uh, here, but you can go ahead and look it up if you want. Uh, read up about that stuff. It's in Leviticus. It's Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 to 44. talks a bit about this. So you can go ahead and, and, and look into that if you would like. Um, that's a side, side quest for you, side study. You know I'm tired and I haven't slept a lot when I start talking in gaming terminology. It's a side quest. Go for it. It's fine. It'll be good. All right, so the Day of Atonement is either not observed this year um, it's kind of an interesting side note. We have no biblical account with all of the record keeping going on during this time. It's very fascinating to me that we don't have a biblical account that the day of atonement is observed. Okay. So there's nothing in here that says that, but <clears throat> another fun side note on this is that if we look at the timeline inside of this, the wall was finished on the 25th day of the sixth month. This is day one of the seventh month. This is days, just days after finishing the wall. Remember, the wall finished in less than six months from the time of asking Artaxerxes, don't kill me, can we please? Getting the material, traveling, building up the people, starting the wall, getting a half, half high, having your army around it at the same time so you're not dying with all the threats, starvation, dealing with all the people, you know, Jews taking advantage of other Jews to completion, less than six months. And now the first day, like just days later, they're reading the law. They're reading the law. Remember when I said they set the precedence? They're setting the precedence, right? They're moving on. We've done our part and built the wall. What's next? This is next. All right, verse three. And he read from it facing the square. So this is Ezra reading, facing the square before the water gate from the early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now this is about six hours, okay? This time of year, um, timeline and everything, it's roughly six hours, and as we see in verse seven, the Levites helped the people to understand because with such a large crowd, because remember this was between the temple wall, you have the wall of the temple and the gate. And so between this, it's all jam crammed, jam packed, crammed, makes words together, it sounds fun. Anyway, a giant group of people, 
It's very, very tight. And so the Levites, part of their job was to help teach. And so they would go through and they would, you know, he would read a portion and they would go and make sure people got it. Okay. There were no loudspeakers. This wasn't built as an auditorium either. This wasn't like a, a, a Greek auditorium to where it was designed in such a way that someone could speak loudly and the entire auditorium heard. A little different. Four to six. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood these guys. And on his left hand and on his right hand stood these guys. And Ezra opened the book. Yes, I did that. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he, excuse me, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, Jewish people were very symbolic. Okay. A lot of what they do is very symbolic in nature, and, and it's a lot of symbolism that show things with their body rather than just saying it or feeling it. Okay, They're expressing it. They're very expressive with what they do. Okay, So as they're surrounded by certain people on the platform that they had made for this specific purpose, Okay, this is where I was talking about that we see reference that it wasn't just standing room because people stood up. Hello. They were sitting, then they stood, okay? A lot of that culture, you just got to understand the culture. I know, just have to, right? Anyway, bless the Lord. So they blessed, he blessed the Lord as in prayer and worship, which is something that we see that they they answer, amen, amen. He gives prayer and praise to, to God. Amen, amen, yes, yes, yes. And they lift up their hands and they bow their heads. Symbolic, holy. You are too good for us. We're sorry. You know, we, we recognize you're too good. We can't even see you with our eyes, right? Seven, eight. Also, Yeshua and so on. Uh, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Remember, we talked about that. Uh, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So the Le it was part of the Levite's job to help people understand. So they likely moved throughout the cloud, the cloud, wow, the crowd, and explained things as they went. So most likely he would read a chunk, like a little section, and they would go through and make sure that everybody understood. The people understood what was going on as they as they went through the crowd. So it was manageable sections, right? And again, we see here in verse eight, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly which that could be because it's the writing in this is so interesting. Okay. Because if it was just, they read from the book of the law of God, or they read from the law of God, it could be all five, but it's just a very interesting distinction to see that they read from the book from the law of God. Now, they were reading the law. So were they reading just a section of it? Were they reading just Deuteronomy? Were they reading, what were they reading? It's very interesting to see this. Uh, and, and so it's just, it's just kind of a, kind of an interesting thing. Kind of an interesting thing. Anyway, <clears throat> let's move on. Verse nine, which this is where we see sorrow turns to joy, right? Verse nine. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, because they were roaming throughout, right, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn 
or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. See, the people were weeping and mourning because they recognized the sin that they were doing and the wrongdoing. They were also recognizing how amazing it was that God brought them back and that God was rebuilding this, right? This was kind of a twofold thing. Like our, our history, our people were really bad and you banished us. We still aren't great because we don't even know the law. Like we haven't seen this or heard this. We don't know. And so they're weeping and mourning, but you're still good enough. You're still such a good God that you're bringing us back anyway. So they're weeping and they're, they're having massive amounts of conviction over this. Most likely recognizing we're not good enough, but thank you. You know, why are you doing this for us? Because we recognize that if you look throughout scripture, it's how God rolls. It's how he is. It's his character, right? He loves his people so much that that's how he does things. And so we're seeing that conviction here and noticing that here in Nehemiah, right? Now, Nehemiah and Ezra proclaim, basically proclaim what we see in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24. You'll notice that there's a bit in that section. So you can look that up. Uh, what we talked about earlier, right? In that Leviticus section, it's a little bit longer, but start at Leviticus 23, 24. You can actually read the whole chapter if you want. Um, which says, speak to the people of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. Okay. They proclaim that this day is holy and that they should celebrate mending the relationship between God and them and they should celebrate rather than mourn. And the Levites went and helped to spread the word. Because again, it's not a massive auditorium. It's crowded. It's not quiet. I'm sure there's people coughing. There's people tired. There's hurt. There's mumbling. What, what did he say? I don't know. You know, you have your hearing aids? No. I mean, it's just, it's hard, right? It's always hard to hear things like this. Even when everyone is silent, it's sometimes hard to hear. So Levites go through and assist. Now, 10 to 12. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieving for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. It's set apart, right? Stay is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now, in Deuteronomy, we see that worship and fellowship with God is typically expressed and experienced through experiencing God's rich gifts. Which is very interesting. I love how closely this ties in. Um, I, I have... I have the honor and I get to uh, uh, preach the word at church this Sunday. And we're going over, I haven't even announced it to them. Uh, the pastor knows, but we're, we're going to be teaching on rest and the importance of how to be solid, that we need to, to be solid in the Lord, to be solid in our walk with God, to be solid in our lives, in everything, as a spouse, as uh, uh, running a business or being an employee or uh, having solid relationships with anyone right? We have to have rest. Like God designed us that way. And so we're going over Shabbat, which is the Sabbath, right? We're going over the need for rest, the biblical concepts and principles of needing rest and how we're shown throughout that we need rest. And uh, I had a, a good talk with a good friend yesterday and we were discussing some of this and it was very interesting that this right here, I didn't even talk to him about this. 
But he brings this exactly this exact piece up uh, that experiencing God, uh, you know, worshiping God is is done a lot of times in the Hebrew context by experiencing his good uh, his good gifts and sharing them with others. And that the Hebrews, when they would start their Sabbath day, when they would start Saturday, the day of rest, they would typically start it with a spoon of honey. And everyone in the house would get to taste the honey as a beautiful reminder that that rest is a gift and it is as sweet as honey. That day is sweet. It is not burdensome to not be out working in the fields. It is not burdensome to not be able to go and do those things. It is a sweet blessing and a gift. It is a gift given. Not a punishment of taking away. It is a gift being given. Very interesting concept. Anyway, I, I digress. Uh, but we see here in Deuteronomy uh, 14, 23 to 27, uh, we see this. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of the herd of flock. And you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to send his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind it up in your hand, excuse me, bind the money up in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? This is crazy. When we think of sacrifice, and maybe it's just me, but when I think of sacrificing and going and doing, giving these sacrifices, I think of you give it and yeah, okay, the priests oftentimes get to eat it, but like I, I give it and it's lost to me. Like I'm giving it to God and it's gone. And here we see, no, God says, no, go ahead. And on this time, you eat it. It's for you. And rejoice and experience this with me. Take what it is that you're giving to me and experience it with me. Join me in this. And I think it's so interesting that we actually see if you can't, if you can't even take your stuff, sell it, get it as money, bring it with you, and then buy whatever it is that you want, including, and I love this concept because there's such a big push. No, no drinking. Ah, drinking's a Bible's completely against. It says don't be a drunkard. Don't be like a drunkard. Okay. The drinking itself is not the problem. In fact, there's even a difference between drinking and celebration. I don't want to get into that and cause a, you know, a bunch of problems there, but rather to, to default to a little bit of caution there. But there's a difference between drinking and celebration and, and just being a drunkard, right? But it actually even says, get whatever you want, whether it's oxen, cow. Do you want beef this time? You don't get beef very oxen. You want beef? Do you want sheep? You want wine? Or do you want hard drink? Didn't think about distilling, huh? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean, it's just crazy. Or for people like me, do you want coffee? Get, get yourself some coffee. It's fine. Okay. Moving on here, though. Verses 
10 to 12. So the joy of the Lord. Now this, this context is interesting. In this context, the joy is shared between God and his people by their returning. They're returning to him and him giving them the land back. Okay. They're returning back in. God saved them in their distant past and in their current and recent times as well. And they recognize this. Now, what I find interesting here, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We have heard this so many times, right? If you went to church in the 90s and early 2000s, you could sing song after song about this, right? It's fascinating, though. When we dig into the text and the original language, look into the Hebrew. I guess I might want to write this down. If you're ever curious on this stuff, uh, there's different things that you can look through the lexicons. Uh, blueletterbible.org does a beautiful job of this. It's a little old school, but it's 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 nice and it works very well. And I actually use it. Uh, I actually use it quite a bit. Um, I still use Blue Letter Bible, and it works amazingly well. There are other dictionaries and lexicons and things of that sort that you can use. Uh, but for a quick free reference guide, it works beautifully well. Uh, but if you look Nehemiah verse or chapter eight, verse uh, excuse me, what is that? Verse uh, nine almost said 10. Verse 9 up. No, it is verse 10. Yeah, the ending of verse 10. And you look that up in the lexicon, you will see that strength in Hebrew is ma'oz, which means refuge, safety, stronghold, protection. It is not Strength and ability to go out and do it. It is not go and work hard strength. It is not dost thou even lift or hoist strength. God is our protection, our safety, our stronghold. The reason that we can be here, which in this context changes everything. They just came back. Their land was taken from them. The people who took their land were conquered. The new people allowed them to kind of come back, finally let them rebuild the temple and have their courts there. Now has allowed them to rebuild the wall, their physical protection, a symbol of full, visible, physical protection. And what do they do days later? They declare that that wall is not their protection. They declare that God is. The joy of the Lord is our stronghold, our refuge, our safety, our protection. It's not the wall that's protecting us and saving us. It's God. And the people rejoiced because they understood. Then we move into the Feast of Booths, okay? Verses 13 and 14. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So the next day, the leaders all come together and they recognize that they, need, they needed to study the law more. They haven't seen it. They don't know it. They don't know it, and they recognize if we're going to be God's people, because God has us as his people, we need to know what God says. 
So they go to learn and find out. And they discover something that has been long since forgotten. The Feast of Booths. Now, they might have known about the Feast of Booths, but they didn't realize that they were supposed to dwell in booths as a reminder of their time in the desert. So this is a fam- the Feast of Booths is a family-oriented celebration highlighting God's protection. <laughs> Timelines, right? It's always funny how that works. God's crazy like that. It's a celebration highlighting God's protection during for, over Israel during Israel's time in the desert. This whole thing is very reminiscent to that, and the timeline fits perfectly, and it's crazy. 15 and 16, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns and all their towns and in Jerusalem. So go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees and make booths as it is written. So the people went out and bought them and made booths for themselves and brought them, excuse me, brought them and made booths for themselves each on his roof in their courts and and in the courts of the house of God where it was allowed, okay? Certain portions you could do stuff like that and so they did it where it was allowed, okay? And in the square and at the water gate and in the square, the gate of Ephraim, they got it and they built everywhere. Wherever there was a space that they could do it, they did it. It's basically all that's saying, right? This is uh, to celebrate building booths similar to what the people lived in while they were in the wilderness after God had liberated from Egypt. And they did this and they built them wherever they could stick them. And and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, pause, Yeshua, otherwise known as Joshua, and if you look in Numbers chapter 13, verses 16, these were the names of the men from whom Moses sent to spy on the land, and Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Yeah, the Joshua who took over after Moses died. Okay. Since the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. This isn't saying that they hadn't celebrated the Feast of Booths. Saying that they neglected and forgot that they were supposed to build booths and live in them as a reminder. Okay. And there was great rejoicing. And the day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Okay. Now, I want to point out there are references. We see things in 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles. There's even stuff in Ezra about keeping of the, the Feast of Booths. But they hadn't gone and built booths. They hadn't made them and lived in them. And they were rejoicing for remembering this because it was a very symbolic event. This, this whole situation is very symbolic to coming out and being liberated from Egypt. And they get to come back and they get the land again. So they want to celebrate it the right way. The people's hearts are finally starting to change and they want to do it the right way. What a beautiful concept. If our hearts are changing 
and we're going back to God, we should want to go back to God the right way. Interesting. We see in Deuteronomy 31, verses 10 to 11, and Moses commanded them at the end of the seventh month, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booze, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So the law was read every day for seven days as declared and decreed. Now, gospel. What do we see in the gospel in this? See a couple things. Actually, there's quite a bit. I'm sure you can pull a bit out of this, but we're keeping it down to two. We see the proper response to coming back to God and hearing his word in our lives is to hear, understand, rejoice. And that last one is always so tricky for us. Obey. We're to obey. Do it the right way. Do it God's way. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But we get a great example of what the proper way to respond to God's word. Now, unlike in Nehemiah, we have the opportunity to receive and respond to the word made flesh. This gives us even more cause to rejoice than they could ever imagine. Yes, they were brought out of captivity for a, captivity for a second time. And they were rediscovering the word of God. And that is huge rejoicing. They finally are getting back into place but we get the word made flesh. We get Jesus himself, God in man form on earth is now ascended and back in heaven waiting for his triumphant return. We have even more reason, reason to rejoice. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What can we take away? All right, major takeaways. It's important to give credit where credit is due. And the people sacrificed greatly to rebuild the wall. Remember a few weeks ago, massive famines, issues going over certain things, which is interesting with such a short term going through it. But when you're building a wall throughout the farming month and you're having all the farmers do it, you're going to have problems, right? But they declared that God was their true protection, the wall wasn't. Their hard work wasn't. Yes, it all played a key, but it was truly from God. So it's important for us to give credit where credit is due. And we should be in the word regularly. If we have Bibles in our house, we should be in them daily if we can, right? No judgment. I'm not judging you. Feeling conviction, that's between you and God, right? Get in your word. Read it regularly. Set some time. Wake up five minutes early and read a chapter. You can do this. Let God speak to you through his word, right? And make sure that we understand what God has for us, okay? There's so much in there, so many promises and things for us in that Bible. And we must not forget our past. While many of us do not physically have a Jewish 
past in history. Okay, we don't come, excuse me, we don't come from a Jewish line. That's okay. However, recognize that being in God's kingdom, accepting Jesus puts you in God's kingdom and the kingdom's history is that of the Jews. So we do have our history. We do have our past. And it is important not to forget that. Okay? Don't neglect nor forget what God has done to bring his kingdom and his people to where they are. And that includes you. Remember, those who don't know history or forget history are doomed to repeat it. Don't forget. Don't forget. And give thanks to the Lord for the blessings that he shows us, even when we don't want to acknowledge that they're there. And that's a tough one, right? That's a tough one. Acknowledging that gifts and blessings are there when times are hard, times are bad. When you're doing a flooring project that has never ended and doesn't seem to ever want to end, right? But we have a house. Bills are getting paid. Everyone's eating. There's a lot of blessings going on. Right? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today, for this word. Leading us into Nehemiah and having it just hit it always at the right time. I, I can't speak for everyone out there watching this, but I can speak for me for my life. And it seems like every week, what it is that we're discussing, what it is that we're going over falls right into place. It's exactly what I need. And I can't imagine that I'm alone in this. God, thank you so much for giving us this and helping us to remember our past and seeing that you're good and seeing that our protection comes from you, not from these walls. God, help us to remember, help us to continue to grow. Help us to be your shining light amongst this nation and amongst every nation as we go forward. Be with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, everybody, thank you guys so much for being here. I know Saturday mornings are, I mean, sleepy time, but whatever. Thanks for coming, and uh, I got to get going because work is calling <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you guys have a great weekend and we will see you next time.